welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I am here with Eli McCann. Hey, Eli, how are you? Good. You didn't introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Meg. I'm Meg Walter. I'm here every week. You could have been anyone. What episode is this? If you're like hopping in on like episode 400, I have questions for you. But I'm Meg Walter. Well, we do hope that new people are tuning in. We do. Uh, I'm Meg Walter to all of you new people. Uh, And this is Eli McCann. And he's going to tell me what he's been watching. I am going to tell you what I've been watching. First of all, I'll tell you something I've been listening to. Uh, So... I need to I need to branch out and like engage in new media. I know that. I know that about myself. Sure. Skylar and I are currently on our 9000th rewatch of The Office. And it's not because we're like, you know what we should do tonight? Let's watch The Office again. It's that you like sit down and you're like, we're both kind of working on stuff. Yeah. And you're like, do I want to scroll through Netflix for 25 minutes to try and find something to engage in? Or do I want to just click keep watching on The Office, which I know will be a fine time for me. Yeah. So like we are on the million three. Anyway, the reason why I'm telling you this is I finally started the podcast by kevin from the office Uh called the oral history of the office have you listened at all no is it good it's fantastic okay it's so it's super well produced okay like a lot of effort put into it it's very well edited and he interviews everybody who was involved in it like even steve carell is interviewed in it and they splice those interviews like kind of quick pace through and the basically the podcast is just a series that goes through like this is how it was made this is what it was like making it it's not about the story of the office itself so like jenna fisher and and angela kinsey are doing their rewatch podcast called office ladies where they go through each episode and talk about the plot and then kind of give some background information his is like sort of more of a documentary about like this is how you get a show made okay it's really good if you are are at all interested in the office you should check it out um it's on spotify weirdly you can like only listen to it on spotify is that maybe a ringer podcast i don't know is the ringer doing that the spotify bought the ringer oh that's gonna be kind of annoying i don't love spotify which is like ironic because we link all our podcasts using spotify just because it integrates well in our word processing platform but i don't prefer it when it comes to listening to podcasts it's not very user-friendly for podcast listening it doesn't really pick up where you left off right yeah and then i just noticed this and so now i'm like having to go back in and be like well where was i in the middle of this hour and a half long episode which is much harder than it sounds (laughs) it is harder than it sounds and why is that a thing i don't know this is like one of these things okay I have been complaining for a while about most of the streaming platforms that we have, uh, how like just minor tweaks, they could make them so much more user friendly. I feel like Netflix has figured it out. Like Netflix is very good how you like scroll on something and it gives you a preview and information. You don't have to click on stuff and it picks up where you left off. And it has if you try and use like HBO or Hulu, they're all terrible. Amazon, I think, is the worst. HBO is really bad. Mm -hmm. Like keep pick up where you left off should be the first square hbo has forced me to try or has tried to force me to restart search party like 20 times every time i go into search party it's like here's episode one and i'm like it's the same thing as spotify where i'm like i don't know where i was i don't remember what episode anyway so that's another thing i'm watching is i started search party at your recommendation and i love it good um what's his name john early john early we, Skyler and I were watching this, and Skyler was like, do you think John Early is insufferable in real life, and that's why he's so good at playing the insufferable gay character? Because, like, we've seen him in a few things, and he's always kind of that yeah. catty, like, yeah. a little self-absorbed. Self-centered. 
I think he just has a handle on that personality type and well, I plays think it well. He, I think that he taps into the side of all of us that we actively try and combat. <laughs> like, I think all of, all of us kind of honestly are that. Uh-huh. And we have to be, like, very self-aware. Yeah. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. But, like, very, like, no, don't be an asshole. Like, yeah. we're actively trying to not be John Early in Search Party where his character just, like, leans into it. Right. Like the woke millennial that's actually kind of the worst. That's that's what it is, because it's not that he's just like blatantly like out there being the worst. It's that he is putting on this show like he's trying to hold that part of himself back. But he's doing it so comically that it's like, oh, this is just another layer of how bad you are. So, for example, there's like a running joke in the show where he's a cancer survivor, quote unquote, because like in high school he had skin cancer or something. Mm -hmm. And it repeatedly comes up where people, you know, he'll like bring it up and he'll be like, you know, as somebody who did survive cancer uh-huh. and I don't want to make this about me, but you know, and it's like you clearly are trying to make it about you. But the fact that you're saying you don't want to make it about you is you're trying to also get brownie points for being yeah. humble on yeah. top of getting the points for having survived. Can- it's so well done. It's like it's the perfect show for anyone who has spent any amount of time on Instagram. Yeah. Like you just like. <laughs> I feel like it just so captures, like, this generation and the things, like, what our life and consciousness is. <laughs> it's written so well. How far are you? I I think I'm on episode seven. I'm almost done with the first season. Okay. I cannot wait for you to get to episode, or to season two. Yeah, and you know what? It's reminding me. Um, who's the main actress in it? I never uh, know her I'll, name. Her name. She plays the maybe on uh, Arrested Development. Yeah, and she was like rumored to be dating Brad Pitt for a while. Really? Mm -hmm. But it turns out they were just hanging out. But I love her. She's a. I kind of forgot. You know, I kind of forgot about her because I haven't really seen her in anything other than Arrested Development. And she's so good in this. Yeah, Aaliyah Shawcott, who I believe is Iraqi. Her parents. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love Search Party. I'm really glad you're watching it. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite show and recent show it's right it, it's right up my alley because the characters are obnoxious but they're they're not so unsu- insufferable that i can't watch it well and you, i love them like yeah. even though john early's character is awful i still root for him every yeah. episode and meredith who is not the meredith blonde. sorry she's played by meredith but portia yeah who is just a ditz uh-huh. But I love her. Like, I so would take earnest. a bullet for yeah. her. So earnest. They're so great. It's so well cast. Yeah. It's so well written. It's a real delight. Yeah. Uh, what else? And then lastly, uh, I started, and I'm pretty sure this is what you were referring to when we did our Home Alone podcast. I started the series, The Movies That Made Us on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I think, because they, what they do is they take each episode and they do a behind the scenes. Here's how like this big movie Kinda we've cheesy. all seen. Yeah. yeah. And so they, they do one on Home Alone. Like, here's how it was made, you know, interviews with the people that were involved in it. And they said a lot of stuff that you would kind of reference. And okay. so I think this is what you had seen. Um, and it's it's fun. I like it. So they, they have an episode on Dirty Dancing that was really fascinating. You know, I've never seen Dirty Dancing. You got to watch it. I know. I know. It's one of those things. I'm like, I know that this is important. I just don't think I'll like it. And so I have been a why, little. Why do you think you won't like it? Do you not like those that genre of like 80s movies? It's not a like comedy. Six, 16 right? Candles. I mean, I like 16 Candles, but I've. I feel like Dirty Dancing is a little more saccharine than Sixteen Candles. Mm. 
Am I, do I, I have the wrong impression? Talk me into wrong. it. I think I'm not a, like a huge fan of this movie, but it, it, it was like, you know, part of my childhood. Um, I would group it right up with like Ferris Bueller, 16 Candles, um, you know, that okay. those genre movies may maybe less funny. I wouldn't call it saccharine, but it has been a while since I've seen it. So maybe maybe I'm just I mean, I do need to watch it. It's important. Patrick Swayze it's dancing. Okay. The dancing is dirty. Pre nose job. Um, for Jennifer did, Grey? Did, no, I think it's... Yeah, I think it might be pre-nose job. Okay. Is she still around? I mean, she got that nose job and then no one hired her to do anything. So she doesn't... Important life lessons. Sometimes it's your weirdness that makes you filmable. And I, maybe this isn't exactly the same, but like Meg Ryan, after she got all that plastic Stop surgery it. and then... Stop it. Did, we liked your face before. That's we why like you imperfect were faces. Yeah. yeah. Um, which reminds me, I don't know why this reminds me of that, but by the way, I almost fell into the trap again, Meg. Have you seen the previews for The Prom? Do not make me watch The Prom. I will not. Honey, I won't because you want to know why. I pulled up and I watched the preview and Meryl's in it. I, know, I mean, come on, I Meryl. Know. And I'm watching this preview and I was like, this looks interesting. This looks like something I'd be into. And then I was like, something's weird, though. And I like my spidey sense went up. Yeah. And I Googled it, and it's a freaking Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Murphy. Of course it's and a I was Ryan like, Murphy. I almost got trapped again into watching a Ryan Murphy production. <sighs> so I shan't watch it. No, don't. Don't. Take a stand. Everybody, <laughs> it's time for us to stand up to Ryan Murphy and his emotional manipulation. I have had enough. We don't need more Ryan Murphy. I, there's nothing else going on in the world. We all need a cause right now. I think that this is how this this trap happened to Meryl. I think that's why she's in it. It's because she like saw the script and she's like, oh, this looks shiny. And she didn't realize Ryan Murphy was involved. She got sucked in the way we Hoodwinked. all have. Yeah. yeah. Hoodwink, just like we all have. Well, I'm glad you didn't watch it. Okay. Way what to be have, true to yourself. What have you been watching? I've watched three movies that I really enjoyed in the last week, and I'm going to tell you about them. The first is The Nest okay, by the guy who made I'm Going to Talk in Google at the same time. Mm-hmm. It is kind of buzzy right now, and I wonder if you saw in about 2013, it was a movie called... Mm-hmm. Hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get I got there. all day. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. No, but that was a mouthful you just said. I know. That's why I have to look it up because I can never remember the title because it's four female names or starting with M and I can't keep it straight. Okay. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene is the scariest movie I've ever seen, including every horror movie I've ever seen. What? It is a terrifying, very, very good movie. What's t- why is it terrifying? Is the, the tension is just unrelenting one scene after the other no reprieve we were watching the nest and i felt that same tension this unrelenting one scene after the other no reprieve and i was like this feels awfully familiar Mm -hmm. looked it up sure enough same director so good at doing this so good at building small stories about just a few people that are so Tense. You feel like you could just graze the surface with a pin and the whole thing would explode. That's huh. exactly what he's done in this movie. It's very good. It's a family drama. That's all I'm going to tell you. Watch The Nest if you have a chance. I think we rented it on Amazon. And of course, it was supposed to be a big theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's uh, straight to streaming. Okay. Hell Caesar. Have you seen Hell Caesar? I tried to watch it on a plane. I couldn't do it. So try, try and talk me into okay. it. Okay. Maybe it's because I had just seen Mank. 
Okay. And I was so frustrated at Mink because there were so many interesting stories they could have told about old Hollywood and how the studio systems worked and how actors belonged to a studio and what it meant to run a studio. And they just failed to do that Mm -hmm. in Mink. And Hail Caesar does that. Mm -hmm. And it does it with a sense of humor. And it does it with good acting and good writing. Channing Tatum is weirdly good. I think people sleep on Channing Tatum as an actor sometimes. great in it. Everyone is great in it. I like that it's a day in the life. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to do any huge thing. It's just a day in the life of this studio manager and what that looked like in 1940s, whatever this movie takes place. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I think because I just watched Mank and was so, Mank and was so frustrated by Mank. Okay. Um, by the way, have, have you seen Citizen Kane? Yes. Wait, Skyler and I are finally going to watch it because we've never oh seen it. Oh my gosh, I love Citizen Kane. I mean, it's supposed to be like the best movie of all time, right? That's the whole thing about it. You got it. Yeah. I mean, you should know it's a time commitment. And it's slower than what you're used to. Okay. But it's very, very good. Okay. Um, I can actually send you a few articles. You're going to see some cliches in Citizen Kane. It's important to remember that Citizen Kane originated those cliches. They weren't cliches then. And all other movies have been copying Citizen Kane oh. since. I'm really excited to talk to you after oh. you watch it. Okay. Put your phone away. Okay. And just like focus can, on can Citizen I knit? Kane. Can I do my knitting? I, I wouldn't. Okay. There's a lot of like really interesting visual stuff. Okay. So oh, maybe we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about it after yeah. Christmas. Let's do an episode. That'd be fun. Okay. Okay. And then uh, I'd heard a lot of buzz about this Bee Gees documentary on HBO mm. called "How Can You Mend a Broken Heart." Now I have seen a lot of music documentaries about various rock and roll pop groups, and they're all. Kind of like we were the people who invented music, you know, mm-hmm. the Bee Gees doc is not like that. The Bee Gees doc is about this group of brothers who were influenced by a lot of what other people were doing and did the next thing very well, having mm-hmm. internalized those influences. And then they ran into a culture clash at the end of disco when white supremacy decided disco should be dead. Hmm. Um, and that the gay community and the black community didn't have a place in music. Hmm. And there was a rebellion of against that. And the Bee Gees the got... The two communities that invented music. Exactly. <laughs> and the Bee Gees got wrapped up in that and kind of dismissed because of that. Hmm. Um, and then trying to recreate their careers all while trying to ma- remain close as brothers. I was so moved by this documentary. The final line that Barry Gibbs said... I was sobbing. Really? It moved me to a puddle of tears. And you said it's HBO? HBO. Okay. How can you mend a broken heart? Okay. It's like 90 minutes. So well worth your time. Great. Uh, And speaking of being moved to tears, (laughs) (laughs) for our last Christmas movie, we watched The Family Stone. Mm Mm-hmm. Is this a good movie? Is it? I don't think it is. So here's my... But I love it. Yeah. my, My thought is this is a movie... Where almost nothing happens, what does happen is absurd. Yeah, and I really like watching I it. I love it so much. <laughs> I love it so much. I know it's bad. I know that everyone in this movie is a bad person. Yeah, and yet maybe the dad, the grandpa, what's his name, Craig Craig T. Nelson. He's not a nice person. Is is it Craig T. Yeah, Nelson? Craig T. Yeah. Nelson. He's okay. Right? I don't know. No, you know what? The gay uh, boyfriend. 
Yeah. He's probably fine. Yeah, the babies are fine. The <laughs> sisters could intervene more than she does. Yeah. Rachel McAdams kind of a brat. Rachel McAdams, well, and the older sister, too. It's like, talk to your younger sister who's mm-hmm. being terrible to this woman your brother brought home. And the brothers are just a, a piece mess. of work. A hot mess all around. Y- you know what, though? I think the reason why we like it is because if you have ever gone to visit family or in-laws or whatever for the holidays... This is what it feels like. It's just like a bunch of mostly adults sitting around a pretty cozy house trying not to bug each other. And are too comfortable with each other. A little bit too comfortable. We had a family gathering on Sunday and I said something kind of mean to my sister in joking. Mm -hmm. And later she was like, I don't think you should be mean to me. And I was like, oh, sorry. (laughs) You know, but like she's my sister. Yeah. And so like I don't even think about it. Like that's the kind of family dynamics. That you see in the family stone. People mm-hmm. who are too close. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows that well, even though they're so annoying. So annoying. Sybil Stone is so annoying. Is that the... Gram- Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton is awful. Skylar and I actually had an argument about this because I was watching it the whole time. I was like, she's terrible. And Skylar disagreed. He's like, no, she's just assertive. I think she's terrible. She's, she's a so mean, mean person. She's so mean to... and And... There's like this whole scene where she walks into the kitchen, starts yelling at everybody because the coffee's gone. And I was like, no, this is not how a grown up acts. No. <laughs> if my mom walked into the kitchen and yelled because something was gone, I would be like, I'm embarrassed that I'm part of this. Right. And that's what's weird to me is that none of the siblings are like embarrassed by how their parents are acting in mm-hmm. this. And instead they're like, yeah, this lady's the worst. Yeah. I also hate when movies are like, look at the bitch with the bun and the high heels, a career woman, get out of here. It's very 2003 or 2005 or whatever this is. A successful career. No, she needs to be more laid back. You know, like, no, she's probably very good at her job. Yeah. (laughs) You guys just don't understand her. Yeah, she doesn't seem like a very good time, but that's okay. Not everyone's a good time. Mm. Like, honestly... Dermot Maroney doesn't seem like a good time either. Like, they're mm-hmm. all like, she's just wrong for you. I'm like, show me mm-hmm. why she's wrong for him because he seems just as boring as she does. Right. And also, he's the worst. Yes. He's just the actual worst. Yeah. You shouldn't fall in love with someone while you're engaged. Like, no. you shouldn't decide that you love the sister in, of the woman you're about to propose yeah, to. Yeah. In like one day, in too. In a night walking he, around the city. He meets her. She gets off the bus. He goes to pick her up. And he's immediately like, just a take, taken by her. And it's like, this is the most ridiculous thing about the movie. The love stories are completely absurd. They are, yes. <laughs> there is no reason why Sex in the City, what's her name? Should, Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker should fall in love with one of the Wilson brothers. He's so gross. Yeah. He has done nothing charming at all. Yeah, he's just like a stoner. He, he's a stoner. He's like sloppy. They like accentuate how slobby he is and then all of a sudden she's like in love with him in like a day and then the other and then her fiance sees claire danes get off the bus and he's immediately like i guess this is the one i'll be in love with instead of my fiance her sister because she has an artsy job well it's so completely absurd and it's hard for me to see claire danes as anything other than carrie matheson from homeland now so i'm like Oh, no, Dylan, don't, no, Dermot, she's dangerous. You need to walk away. She is unstable. I promise. I promise. Get away from her. Mm-hmm. It's. I agree. I, I was thinking this morning, is there a way to do this movie without the love stories? Because the love stories are so bad and so 
unrealistic. They're, the love stories are the only thing that happens in the movie. And so if you took out the love stories, then nothing happens in this movie. I mean, but that's not what's good about the movie. The, mm-hmm. What's good about the movie is the di- dynamics in this family and grappling with cancer. Like, that's mm-hmm. what makes this movie so effective and why I'm sobbing at the end of mm-hmm. it. It has nothing to do with these two sisters. The scene where Sarah Jessica Parker um, gives the gift to everybody in the oh family, and it's the picture Stop. of Diane Keaton pregnant with Rachel McAdams, um, which I do believe in real life. Diane Keaton was pregnant with Rachel McAdams. That's like a fact that I'm just putting into my brain forever. <laughs> um, and they all open it at the same time. And it's, you know, it's this picture that's been framed and they all break down crying. That is a very touching scene. Oh, Incredible. Yeah. And and actually, yeah, now that I think about it, if they would have taken out the love stories and had it just be, a, you know, the son brings home a fiance who doesn't quite mesh with the family and you see over the course of a holiday season, like this family kind of grow to love her and embrace her and whatever. I think that would have been a, a better movie. Or like, you know, have Sybil have a conversation and be like, listen, I'm sick. I'm dying. I'm probably acting erratically for those reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sorry, Meredith, let's figure this out. You seem, you know, I'm sure I can grow to love you. Like, yeah. don't bring in this other character yeah. for the guy to fall in love with. Yeah. Who's like more in line of what you think the ideal person should be. Right. Because it, it, it is an interesting story to kind of look at what it feels like for somebody to meet their soon to be in-laws and like try and figure out how to mesh with them and and vice versa. And I guess maybe we don't see a lot of movies that do that. It's like a pretty common trope to already see somebody who like has a bad relationship with their mother-in-law. But like, it's kind of interesting to see somebody go and meet who are going to be their in-laws and spend a holiday season with them and like navigate those kind of early encounters. Well, it's especially interesting to get the perspective from a woman who is dying and knows that her mm-hmm. son is going to marry somebody and she won't be there to help him if the marriage is bad, which I think is the story. Yes. I think that's why Sybil doesn't want him to marry Sarah Jessica Parker because she won't be around and she's scared about what's going to happen to her family and she doesn't want them to make mistakes. And so she comes off as aggressive and assertive and mean yeah. in protection of these people. Explore that more. Yeah. We don't need Claire Danes. It's very similar to Stepmom in that way. And the reason why Stepmom, I think, was a movie that worked really well is because they did a very good job exploring the idea that the you know the the this mother who is dying is seeing you know somebody else enter her family and is going to be a huge part of that family and is really struggling with the fact that this person is not like her and that maybe doesn't fit in in the parenting role as well she thinks that you know somebody should and yada 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 but she's not going to be there to do damage control i think stepmom does that really successfully and i think this movie gets about 70% there yeah, I wish I, I wish they could have just carried it across the finish line. I feel like they got too distracted by the Claire Danes, Dermot mm-hmm. Maroney love story, which literally no one cares about. Yeah, I, I don't. There's that end scene where they're all standing around the tree and you don't even realize those two aren't there because it's all the other characters who are like more important that are standing around missing their mom. Yeah, and I, I think that's true. I saw this movie in the theaters during Christmas break while I was in college. My friend Sam and I went to it. We were the only two people in the theater. And I I think I had the same kind of opinion then as I do now, which we walked out and I was like, I think I liked that. And but it's funny, I hadn't seen it since then. And I had totally forgotten about the love stories. 
Like, I remembered pretty much everything else about these movies. I'm like, I know that he brings her home and she doesn't get along and there's the cancer and the and the fight around the dinner table and then she's dead by the next Christmas. Like, I remembered all of those beats. And then when the love story started happening, I was like, oh, I forgot about this crap. And so, like, the fact that my brain was just, like, not important and, yeah. <laughs> like, spit it yeah. out. That's telling. That's yeah. super telling. But let's talk about what works about this movie. Okay. Um, I think it's very well cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about Rachel McAdams before. She's put her in everything. She elevates everything that she's in. There are mediocre movies that are great because Rachel McAdams is in them, mm-hmm. and she's great as Amy in this. The college um, student bringing college her laundry home with the NPR tote bag in the anthropology clothes. Remember those people who were like, "I dress indie," but really it's like all anthropology. Yeah. Like that's very yeah. much Amy here. Yeah. Um, Diane Keaton in what I think is like the best Diane. Keaton performance. She's not great in everything she's in. No. She's often just being Diane Keaton. And yeah. in this, she's like a real character with a real point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think she does it well. She's got a bite to her. Yeah. Craig T. Nelson of Parenthood and, you know, a million other things. He's been 45 his entire life. Yeah. He's the dad here who is, they mention that he's a professor, which fits. They're in this New England town, mm-hmm. probably teaches at some prestigious college. Um, we have Luke Wilson as the um, gross not, brother, not the black sheep, but like you know the the disappointment. Maybe yeah, uh, doesn't seem to be have much going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have I feel bad. I don't know the two actors' name as a gay couple hoping to adopt a baby, and one of the girls from Twilight as the older sister. Mm-hmm. And it's this family, and then Sarah Jessica Parker is Dermot Mulroney's. I have a hard time with his name. It's not a real name. Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. Dermot (laughs) Mulroney's fiance coming home to meet these people. I just think that these actors, there's clearly a bond between all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, In a sense that I feel like they enjoyed working with each other. And I think that's why the scenes when they're in contention worked Mm-hmm. so well mm-hmm. and there's a number of those scenes i think the mo- the one that's hardest for me to watch is the dinner scene where they start talking about uh the gay couple want to adopt a baby mm-hmm. and carrie not carrie sarah Bradshaw, jessica, sarah parker. jessica parker asks like are you worried about the child being gay do you boys believe in nature versus nurture i mean is that all a concern in terms of bringing a child into your house I'm not sure i follow you why wouldn't we bring it to the house <laughs> well i i just mean the gay thing you know i mean there's no irrefutable evidence one way or the other and yes they think they've isolated a gene but what does that mean they don't know what it's for or what it does didn't they determine it's for window treatments there you go <laughs> One of the contributing factors to being gay may very well be the environment. Well, I mean, look at my drapes, right? Aren't they horrible? There's absolutely no way it was this environment. Meredith, most of us here believe that sexual orientation is a result of a genetic predisposition, much like handedness. And? Well, that and mom. You tried to make us all gay. Hey, what are you talking about? I didn't try ever it. No, a true, I did hope, I, mean, I did, I did desperately hope that you would all be gay. Oh, my boys, and then you'd never leave me. I'm so sorry, by the way, girls. Oh, right. <laughs> she would ask me when I was eight years old if I was gay. Hey, she asked all of us that. Yeah, Thad, stop pretending you're so special. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ben, are you sure that you're not gay? <clears throat> hey, I'm here. 
I'm queer, get used to it. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie came out, what, 2007? I think it was five. five. Yeah. I think that was kind of a revolutionary conversation. It was. For 2005, and you can speak to oh, that better than I can. I remember so vividly my impression of this scene when I saw it in the theater when it came out and how that impression, you know, changed and looked different now. So as a reminder, they were sitting around the ta- dinner table and... um Sarah Jessica Parker is like talking to this gay couple and she's like, well, are you worried the kid's going to come out to be gay? And most of the family is still keeping the conversation light, even though she's asking some questions that are like, "Eh, that's a little, you know. And so the family is like kind of joking and and Diane Keaton's like, well, I hope that the child is gay. I wanted all of my boys to be gay. And she's kind of joking about it, like how great it is to have a gay son. And Sarah Jessica Parker is not reading the signs that everybody's trying to just get her to move on. And she keeps digging in and she's she says, well, you know, surely you don't mean that. Surely you didn't actually hope that one of your kids would be gay. And the family's like, what's wrong with, you know, hoping that one of your kids would be gay? And Sarah Jessica Parker's like, well, I just mean that, like, it's better if they're not because, you know, they have a problem and, like, their life is going to be harder. And it just digs in and digs in and tensions build until Diane Keaton finally freaks out and, like, tells her to shut up. And then Sarah Jessica Parker Parker marches off and then Diane Keaton gets the attention of her deaf son who's now like deflated and just kind of looking down and then says, I love you. And it's very touching. Mm -hmm. When I saw this originally um, as a closeted gay guy, Mm -hmm. I felt very um, sorry for Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Uh, Like I I watched this and I was like, I get what she's saying. You know, like she's just, she just means, you know, she's not trying to be offensive, but she just means that, you know, that's a hard thing and whatever else. And this family is being kind of terrible to her. Yeah. And watching it last week um, or a few days ago, Everything she was saying, I was like, shut up, Sarah Jessica Parker. Like, I was, like, offended by it. Okay. And it's so interesting because I think that that conversation and, like, how we talk about these issues has changed so much in 15 years that I suspect that, like, when this was written, they wrote it from the perspective that, like, okay, here are two kind of reasonable sides and they're not understanding each other. And I think they wanted it to feel that way. They didn't want, you know, it to be necessarily the case that Sarah Jessica Parker was, like, the villain of the scene. Yeah. They wanted to be like, oh, there's this misunderstanding and she's kind of making it worse, but she does, she's trying to make it better. And I just think that's aged so differently now. Yeah. What, what did you think about the conversation? I mean, I think I, I tried to watch it as this is a conversation happening in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a conversation that uh, that felt revolutionary at the time for that family to be so accepting, which is tragic given that it was only 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. But for them to be so unequivocally defensive of their son. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- And you're right. Like, I watch it now. I'm like, oh, Sarah Jessica Parker, like... Stop it. Like, you're you're so wrong here. But I remember watching mm-hmm. it, like you said, in the theater and being like, I mean, you know, it, their life would be easier if yeah. they weren't gay. Like right. some of the points I was like agreeing with. And, you know, I have the benefit of 15 years later and people are much more open with their sexuality, you know, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of thriving gay people. And so that's wrong. Like, mm-hmm. that's wrong. I don't think I had that perspective in 2005. And I don't think a lot of people did. Right. So I think the movie worked well for 2005 to convey that i don't think it works as well now but it is a movie from 2005 so what 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 i felt though was 
this does not feel like a scene that has aged poorly. Okay. Because the scene ends with Diane Keaton screaming at Sarah Jessica Parker and basically booting her from the table. And when you watch that in 05, it's like, oh, they were both kind of right and both and kind Craig of wrong. And Craig T. Nelson also like explodes and Yes, her. he explodes too. And so, yeah, 2005, we were like, they're both kind of right and kind of wrong. And there's, you know, there's just kind of, they're not giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Watching it in 2020, it's like, good for them that they shut her down. I feel like yeah. it didn't age badly. I just feel like we... I viewed it very differently. It's weird because I can't, I think the biggest flaw with this movie is it can't decide how it feels about Sarah Jessica Parker. On like one scene, it wants you to be sympathetic toward her. On the next scene, she's looking at the ring her would-be fiance wants to give her and says, that's it. Like she is kind of the worst. Yeah. And she ends up in the family and I feel weird about that. And it's like either, either she's bad and she's a bigot or she's nice and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Pick a lane because yeah. <laughs> you're showing me both here. I do think that scene, I agree that it's still effective. I think it's most effective in showing the kind of parents that mm-hmm. these parents are and how fervently they love their children. Well, it, and I'll tell you, in 2005, that scene didn't emotionally affect me. It was more interesting. I was ugly crying when Diane Keaton okay. signs I love you to him. After throwing, you know, the breadstick at him or whatever, I was ugly crying. And Skyler was, too. And he doesn't get affected by movies like it was very touching to watch that. So I'm not criticizing that scene. I'm saying that it looks different over, you know, different periods, I think. I think that's a mark of a good scene. If you can have two different, completely different perspectives and still take something from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I think it's very powerful. I think the. Each of the different children coming to the realization that their mom's sick again is powerful, Mm -hmm. Um, that there's never really an announcement, but they all figure it out just by the little things she's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't. I just wish Sarah Jessica Parker wasn't in it, honestly. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's a great movie to revisit in December. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the end, when they're all standing around the Christmas tree and they can't find the stockings, it's sad. Mm-hmm. It's sorry. I'm gonna get emotional. It's sad in the way it would be sad if like that person actually died. You right. know, this force, which is what she is in this movie. Sybil's a force, yeah, and she's in charge of the family. And they all look to her, and they all fight with her, and they all have hard relationships with her because they love her. Mm-hmm. And that feeling at the end is like the house is quiet, and it feels like weirdly empty. They've like cleaned up the clutter and stuff, and mm-hmm. it, it feels different. Everyone looks a little different and you miss her. Like mm-hmm. as a viewer, you miss her yeah. and it's effective. And then Sarah Jessica Parker is there with Luke Wilson. You're like, why? Yeah, no, why? why? This why? doesn't make sense. There's, you know, every family, of course, like everybody's important in the family. But I feel like every family does have like the person who's sort of everything kind of centers around yeah. them. And they, they're the ones who kind of pull it together. I feel like you might be that in your family. <laughs> no. um, my mom is it's the Diane Keaton character in my family yeah. you know she is like kind of the one that gets everything together and 
um, Skyler has, he's always talking about, he's, he's got a sister in his family that he's just like, if something happened to her, my family would not be the same ever again. You know, yeah. it's like that. For, and so I do think that they do a really good job of showing Diane Keaton as like the matriarch of the family, the one who is sort of like the glue that's pulling it all together and making it all happen. And even though, you know, they're all going to figure out how to move on and, and evolve and change without her, you you would feel the loss generally within that family of Diane Keaton over anybody else. Yeah. You know, and and I think they do a very excellent job of portraying that by kind of injecting her in everything that's happening in that house. And so by the end, when you see them all standing there around the Christmas tree, it does feel like a community loss for them, you know? Yeah. And it's very, it's very touching and very sad, but like love filled. I I just... Mm -hmm. It's an effective holiday movie, mm-hmm. and I'm glad we revisited it, and yeah. I'll watch it again next year. Yep. Um, that concludes our holiday movie series this December for Hive Mind. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks and enjoy the holiday, but we'll be back in the new year. Please remember to leave us a good rating and review. Subscribe to the Hive Mind newsletter at hivemind.substack.com, and Become a member of The Beehive on the membership page of thebeehive.com, and we'll see you in January. Mm-hmm.